this week we're talking about the road to Damascus. I'm going to do a quick recap because there was, there was a lot of snow last week. I mean, it was just bucketing down here about 0.0 millimeters, uh, millimeter, millimeters here in uh, Boulder. But then down in Denver, people sent me evidence because I, I, I said to them, no way. And they sent me photos. They had like a foot, 15 inches. There was just a lot of snow in other places. But we didn't have a lot here. Um, so you're welcome to come and seek refuge here. But just in case you didn't know, you didn't have a chance to watch the service last week, see the sermon, kind of catch you up on that. I believe, I believe the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking, and he's actually going to engage with his aunt and uncle. That's who I believe the couple are that are walking on the road to Emmaus. If you want to know why I believe that, you have to watch the sermon from last week. But just go with me on this. Their dreams are shattered. They were in the upper room. They are depressed about this. They leave on the third day, and it's significant it's the third day because Jesus promised them that he would rise on the third day. Yet on the third day, they're exhausted. They give up. They run away on the third day. They exit, and Jesus chases them down this path. He engages them in a conversation. He uses the Bible to remind them of the solid truths that they didn't connect, the dots they didn't connect. And then when they see Jesus, when they connect with him, suddenly they rush back to the upper room and Jesus appears again to them. This was their road. And we choose roads all the time. We choose roads for our life and we choose roads for our faith. Today I'm going to challenge you on the road of your faith. Now the difficulty, of course, is this. There are, and I talked about all the different types of roads last week, and the roads that I particularly enjoy, but there are things that I didn't mention. I didn't mention the obstacles in the road. If you were listening to Pastor Jessica's prayer, you would have heard about the obstacles that we face in our road. The camber, the other drivers, <coughs> no, uh, the other alleged drivers. Seriously, I, I, I don't know. You know. Do you know how I got a driving license in this country? I w is, it was in Michigan. I didn't? No, I did. <laughs> it's in Michigan State, uh, so maybe in Colorado it's a little bit different. But I went to the department there, and I said to them, I'd like a driving license. They said, do you have one? I said, I sure do. Here's my one from England. They said, 10 minutes. And they gave me a driving license. I was like, really? No test? No, no checking my eyes? I mean, just seriously, just done? I was like, that's great. Until I drove in Michigan. I was like, oh. Nobody has a license in this state. And here, here, it was very, very hard. I showed them my Michigan driving license, and they gave me one as well. I was like, wow, I should try this everywhere. I've kept all of them. Um, so, not to use, just souvenirs, you know. They've got holes in them and that kind of stuff. But on the road, there are obstacles. There is, like, the camera of the road is not really well. There are other drivers on there. There are speed traps on the road. And then there is weather. The weather can affect your road experience so much. I was traveling once to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm, I'm not quite sure why anybody travels to Lincoln, Nebraska. I mean, in fact, actually, if you think about Nebraska, why would anybody go there? I don't know. The, the, you're driving out there, and you're driving for 55 days, and you're looking to your left, you look to the right, there's nothing, nothing out there. So I'm driving on this state, Interstate 80. And all of a sudden, as I'm driving there, and I'm, you know, and I'm focusing, obviously, on, on things that I'm listening to in the car, and then I'm driving along, and suddenly, cars start slamming on their brakes on the highway, right? And people are doing illegal U-turns on the highway, coming down the highway towards me, driving through the grass onto the other side. I'm like, what is going on, you know? And I'm just looking, driving along, and thinking to myself, this is bizarre. And I see far, far into the east, a cloud 
like a gray cloud. And everybody's just running away from this gray cloud. And I'm thinking to myself, it's, it's only rain. I have a four-wheel drive car. It's brand new. It's fantastic. It's insured thanks to farmer's insurance over there. It's really, really good. I'm feeling good about this. And I'm driving. And then people like slam their brakes in front of me. And they're losing control. And they're pulling off to the side and driving to the thing and getting underneath the car and hiding underneath. I'm thinking, is this the end of the world? Is, is there some message that I didn't read in the Bible that I missed out on that I thought, I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen like this, right? So then that cloud starts to come closer and closer, and I'm just singing along, happy as could be, and then the cloud, the rain turns into snow, and the snow turns into hail. And suddenly I hear thud, 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 crack, thud, thud, crack. And I'm like, what is this? So then I don't know what to do, right? So I pull out my phone, and I'm, I'm Googling how to survive a hailstorm, right? I'm watching YouTube videos. Meanwhile, I'm like, I have this huge moonroof, and I'm thinking, thud, 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 I'm driving along. Do I speed up through there? Do I slow down through there? I don't know. People are like, I'm just gonna go. So they're going full speed, and I read, if you go faster, you're gonna have more hailstorm. And I'm thinking, how does that work? Is this a physics question? I don't know. This is complex. So I'm, I'm trying to work out formulas. I'm trying to work out how to survive all this stuff. And eventually, I just pull over, right? There's no bridge because we're in Nebraska. <laughs> they don't even know what a bridge is, right? There's no bridge. There's no coverage. It's just fields, fields of just weird grass and hail. And I'm thinking, this is why... The Lord chose hail for this area. There's nobody out here than me. Thousands of dollars of damage done. Oh my goodness, the car was just destroyed, but I was so glad I'd taken out a brand new insurance with farmers. <laughs> Sorry, Patrick, but thank you for fixing that like that. I mean, just like, it was the easiest experience ever. So if you haven't got car insurance, that's it. You go see Patrick. Um, it was incredible. It was incredible. And I, as I was sitting down there and, you know, reading all these Google YouTube videos as best as I could to try and understand them, as the, the stuff was falling on my head, I kept on thinking to myself, I don't think the moonroof is going to hold. Because these hailstorms were the size of a tennis ball. They were huge. This was not like in England or, or here even where little hailstorm, you go out there and like, oh, I flicked that one off. This is like, if they hit you, you die. So I'm thinking, at any moment, this thing is going to come through. And as that's going inside, all I was came, kind of saying to myself was, I wish I was not here. That's all I kept on saying to myself. I was like, I wish I was not here. And where was I going? Graduation for Pastor Jessica. Oh my goodness, so much resentment <laughs> held up inside there. I don't know if I could survive that. That graduation in that college in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, <laughs> causing this to... I know you guys are all alumni from a union. It's okay. It's all right. We all know union's doing well. <laughs> no matter what I say, it's growing. It's okay. It's the other schools that are struggling. So it's all good. It's all good. People just like it. It's all good. So I was there asking myself why I'm actually there. And I think to myself, on the road to Emmaus, I think to myself on the road to Emmaus that Jesus' aunt and uncle were probably asking the same thing. I think Paul, when he hit the road to Damascus, he's probably going to be asking himself the same thing. Wish I was not here. I don't understand this. But when you hear the voice of Jesus, and when you see the action of Jesus, and when you see the scars of Jesus, you kind of feel like there's a call that's hitting you that maybe you can survive this. And believe me, after the storm, I was so happy. 
after that moment, I was like on cloud nine. I was like, bring it on. Turn the car on, we're off, on our way inside here. There was nothing that could scare me after that. I wanted to tell everybody about this experience, and I think that's what they experienced. Once they went through the storm, once they went through the struggle, they experienced that rush back inside there. So take your worship guide out. Look at that question. This is the very first question inside there. It's the very first question, and it was the last question from last week. So last week I had four questions and I left this question. I repeated this question because I think this question is really significant. It's significant for you, significant for me, significant for us as a church here. Whom has Jesus made your heart burn for? Whom has Jesus made your heart burn for? When you see the scars, as they did as well, when you know that he loved more, he gave more, he forgave more, more than anybody else, what is your response to Jesus? Who needs your help in your life? Who needs your love and who needs your embrace? A few weeks ago, when I was at the Calamesa retreat, uh, preaching out there with Alex, and we were driving up the mountain, and this is the conversation Alex and I were having as we're driving up the mountain. We're thinking to ourselves, well, I wonder how our churches are gonna go, Walla Walla and Boulder tomorrow morning. I wonder if everything's lined up. We're discussing all that kind of stuff. We're thinking about our families. We're like, I wonder what our families are doing right now. And then we looked at each other. Alex was driving, so I looked at him, really. Uh, we looked at each other, and we said, why are we doing this? Why are we all the way over in Calamesa? We should be back in Walla Walla and back in Boulder. We're missing our churches just for that weekend. I don't understand why we agreed to come out here and do this. But during the whole weekend, Encounter after encounter, people who we held, people who held us, with prayer, with weeping, with conversations, with honest dialogue, where people said, if you hadn't said that, if I hadn't talked about this, if we hadn't said this, if we hadn't prayed about this, I was blessed, they were blessed, and we knew at that point, after the storm, we knew after the road that God had called us to there. Our family here at this church here as well. I know it's very easy, right? You come to church and you have a particular spot. I once knew this church, um, and a friend of mine, Joel's, actually knows this church pretty well, but I once knew this church where, uh, and I'm not saying Stanford Park Church in England, um, but there were certain rows that were kind of like sectioned off secretly for families. Like this was the this family, and this was family B and family A. And I remember one day, uh, a whole group of people had turned up the church, they turned up a little bit uh, early, they were sitting down and they're waiting for the service, and family A turned up, and that was, I mean, there's a lot of seats, okay? And they could have sat anywhere, but they went over to the row and they looked at this group of people who had just come to church for the first time and said to them, uh, these are our seats. And, and the, the, group, the group of people, like four or five of them, looked at them and said, is this, like a, is this like a test? Are you on candid camera? That was very cool back then. Are you on candid camera? Is this like some kind of video? Is this like a joke? And they said, no, no, this is where we sit every single week. And they looked and said, but we don't see any names. It doesn't say reserved. It said, well, we'd like to sit there right now. And so they made them get up and move so they could sit down right there. You can't make stuff like this up. This is real stories. <laughs> this is just, it's not even on a movie. It happened right in front of us. I was like, is this happening before me? I couldn't believe it. But people do that kind of stuff, right? So you come to church, and you kind of sit in the same spots. I don't know if you know this, but, but I kind of look, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if Gordy's going to sit in a different chair this week. No, right there, right there. In fact, I could get a cardboard cutout, put it right there, and, and Gordy would know, that's my spot. <laughs> right there, right? But here's the thing. Gordy gets up, and he walks over to the other side of the church, which is, what, I don't know, 50 feet? 
and he meets people. <gasps> Shock horror. <laughs> he says hello. And you, I know this is radical, you could do the same. <laughs> you could actually meet somebody new. You'd be amazed. You come to church every single week, right? And you're thinking, I know everybody. No, you know five people around you. And you're like, I'll say, hey, did you know so-and-so was there? They're like, have they? Yes, the last six years. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Because you sit in the same spots. But imagine if we got up and we kind of walked to each other and talked and said hello and introduced each other. I'm not asking you to hit on anyone, right? I'm not asking you to have any weird conversations. I'm not asking you to ask anybody for their number. I'm not asking for anything weird. I'm just saying, hey. My name's Japheth, what's your name? I didn't know that you were here longer than I've been, but I would love to get to know you, right? But if you reached out to people, you could actually start to belong to that family. You could start to experience that. Last Friday, not yesterday, but last Friday, I was at Snooze, and the Wernicks were actually sitting behind us. Um, they were sitting behind us, and, and I was sitting down with a friend talking to them. And there's this, uh, there's this uh, server there, Nicole. She's fantastic, right? She's brilliant. I, I said to her, I need you to come and train all my elders. I mean, just seriously. The ability, the way that you have eye contact, your engagement. And so we've got to know her really well. Aliyah, myself, and Jess got to know Nicole really well. And so Nicole sat down <laughs> with us. We're eating our food. And she sat down, and we started dialoguing. And she was sharing how she's got to make this big decision in her life. She's on this road, and, and she's got to make this big decision in her life. Snooze wants her to be a manager again. She was a manager before, but with her kids and her marriage and everything else going on, she just thinks she needs more time for her family. And so we processed this with her. We got to pray with her. We got to dialogue about it. And, she, and I said to her, ultimately, look, you love God. You're a person of influence. You're a person connected to Jesus Christ. You imagine you become a manager again. You can take all of that passion, all that you know, and actually make people better. You can help them to become different types of people. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? It could be amazing inside this. So I'm going to find out on Wednesday when Nicole decides to do that. But it's not complicated is what I'm saying. I think sometimes, and maybe you have this thing, you're seeking the will of Jesus in your life. You want to know, are you on the right road? Uh, are these obstacles intentional? Why am I going to get around this kind of stuff? But I think you ignore all the signs around you. You see the cloud. You see all the cars turning around. They're doing U-turns. And you're like, no, nope, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just going to keep on going inside there. And I think we're so busy trying to seek the will of Jesus that we miss moments to be able to serve Jesus. And when we serve Jesus, when we engage with Jesus, he starts to talk to us. We recognize his voice. We recognize the voice of Jesus because it's not actually about us. In the daily walk, and I, I don't know how many of you do the daily walk, reflect through that, but I would encourage you, every week we, we write a Bible study, so Zan, who's preaching next week, she's written a Bible study for us each day to prepare us for the message that's coming up. But I encourage you to do the daily walk. In the daily walk in James chapter 3, I shared with you some key words inside there about when you hear the voice of Jesus, when you're on the road and you want to know it's the road that you were with Jesus, this is what it is. It's gentle, it's considerate, it's willing to yield, it's pure, it's unwavering, it's void of hypocrisy. God is saying, I want to engage you all the time. I'm constantly nudging you and sometimes I will do something to grab your attention, but believe me, when I speak to you, it is there for you to understand I want good to happen from this. Our friend Paul, in the text that we read today, 
our friend Paul, often referred to Saul before he became Paul, but actually his name was Saul Paul. He had two names, right? We kind of like to be able to mess it all up, but, but in truth, nothing really changed in regards to his name inside there. He stood at the stoning of Stephen. He stood right there, watched all these people gather around, pick up stones, and destroy a man because the man spoke of Jesus Christ. He had all the talent and status with him. He he was a Roman citizen, so he had authority that the Jews didn't have. He worked with the Jewish synagogue, and he was a scholar. He was a thinker, and he was living on a mission to seek and destroy. That's all he was. Can you imagine the kind of life? The life that he was living, when he stood by there, watched these people stone, he just convicted himself that this is what it must be. He was not having his eyes on Jesus. So Paul, after staring at himself instead of Jesus, his own desires, his own ambition, his own excuses, and you've met those people, right? Those people who have their own desires, their own ambitions, their own excuses all the time. Tommy, good to see you, man. I'm so, yeah, now I'm going to call you out, man, because I'm, I'm glad you're not, I thought you were not well. You feeling better? So-so, good, good, come, 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 come. He wasn't well this morning, so this is good, but it's, just walk in, that's fine, it's no problem. We'll continue, have a seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, Tommy's going to do this to me one day when he preaches, it's all good, it's all good. <laughs> This guy here, just overwhelmed with his own self-desires. And you meet those kind of people all the time. You know the people, have you met this person who says, uh, the Lord told me this morning. You ever met somebody like that? And then, better yet, the Lord told me to tell you. <laughs> you met those people? I'm like, if the Lord told you to tell me, maybe you should pray for me. You don't have to tell me. Keep it between you and God. It's fine. We're not that close. It's okay. Unless, of course, there's something good inside your life that you need to hear as well and that God is telling you that needs to happen in my life in here. But this is the difficulty we have because Paul had the same problem. Paul was saying, I'm listening to God, but he wasn't. He had tremendous amounts of pride and it's visible in so many ways. We all have pride when we're driving along on our road, we're thinking about us, things we're going on, we have pride. And it's kind of smug or belittling or arrogant or we may be a little bit dismissive. You know, you take the road and you say, it's the car. This car will climb any mountain. It's going to be fine because you believe that everything is good with that. But spiritual pride, spiritual pride is so easy. And Paul had lots of spiritual pride. Complacency. Apathy and boredom. I mean, he, he saw the truths inside the word of God and he ignored it. Tuesday evening at the elders board, Pastor Lyon and Pastor Jessica took the control of the entire elders board to direct uh, vision and to refocus us as a church. It was a fantastic evening. I'm really proud of all the stuff they had inside them, what they shared with us. And, and the conversations we as elders had together was really, really good. There were three questions they brought up. I'm going to share these three questions with you because I think there's questions that we as a congregation, as a community need to think about as well. These are questions that are going to move your pride level into another space and remove it because you actually need to get back to that. Number one, who do you want our kids to be? Who do you want our kids to be? And we concluded one of many things that we talked about, we want our kids to be followers of Jesus Christ. Great. Everybody says amen, right? Good, two of you in a concurrence. It's okay to speak, you know, don't feel shy. We all can speak, kind of, it's okay, it's all right. So, we want our kids to be followers of Jesus. Good, you can say yeah. If you feel amen's weird, just say yeah. Cool, thumbs up, it's all right. What is the best environment 
for them to get there. Now it gets a little bit harder, right? And we said home and church, but being mentors to these kids, being engaged in their lives. And I, I remember this as a child myself. When I went to this little church in Southeast London, uh, there was a guy called Brother Darley. Brother Darley would have uh, lemon bonbons in his jacket, right? And after church, he would come up to us and say, boys, have you, girls, have you been good this week? It didn't matter. <laughs> Believe me. It didn't matter if we had been good that week or not. He would pull out this lemon bonbon and give it to us. And we were like, yeah, church was complete. Obviously, today, that would be very creepy. If uh, somebody started giving my kids sweets, I'd be like, Why? <laughs> It's tragic, it's actually tragic, it's funny, but it's tragic at the same time that we can't even do that kind of stuff. But there are other ways to mentor without giving you know, stuff to kids' sweets for their teeth and all that kind of stuff. So there are other ways to take care of this, but mentoring them. And then the third question was, what are the steps to build that environment? That's very difficult. And it involves radical change again at Boulder. More change has to happen. And they laid down three challenges, and they gave these three challenges last week to those of you who had come here, which I referred to as the remnant. Uh, but these were the three challenges. We need to, uh, I'm going to say this again carefully, we need to show up every week. All right, that's it. We need to show up every week. Hey, look, you want to go, and you want to go on vacation, fantastic. I go on vacation too. I'm going to be away in May. It's great. Go. Go, absolutely. But we need to show up every week, not just for yourself, but for others. When you show up, it brings joy to somebody else's life. Believe it or not, you're nice people. <laughs> people like to see you, and they like to be able to connect with you. And if you're off all the time, I talked to this one family that said to me uh, last year, they said, hey, you know, uh, it's, it's May, I'll see you in September. All right, good, I'll see you in September, bye. But this year, what they're doing is they're gonna come to church, and then they're gonna head out and do their thing after church every weekend. I'm like, yes, show up every week. It's tall, I know, I mean, imagine, God is calling you to come together, as it says in Hebrews 10, to worship in community, because when you worship in community, you are lifted up. Show up every week. I'm not looking for people to bunny hop churches. I'm looking for people who are committed to build this community inside here. We need leaders to show up in the lives of the kids. And this is radical. We talked about this with the elders, right? Where, where Elijah Jess was saying, we're not looking for a rotation of teachers, right? One teacher teaches just, I'll volunteer, I'll teach once a month. No, we're looking for you to invest in their life. When I was a little kid, seven years old, I went to Sabbath school, and Audrey Boyle was my Sabbath school teacher. Audrey would say, who has come to Sabbath school? And she'd open this little church with a little mirror, right? And she'd put it in my face. Maybe I was 15, I don't know. <laughs> and I'd like to say, I've come to Sabbath school, it's me, right? I was absolutely ecstatic. There were three of us in Sabbath school, three of us inside there, but Audrey loved me. Audrey loved me. She was a phenomenal teacher. She invested every Sabbath. I don't think I ever had another teacher. It was just her. The best Sabbath school teachers, the best kids teachers, the best small group leaders do it for life. I know on the elders board we said, well, we only need you for one quarter. No, I'm saying life. Elijah and Jessica said, life, that's what we need. We need you to commit to life because you grow with these kids. You understand their journey. You're part of their entire life. You get to mentor them. You get to be engaged in their life. You're not there as a teacher, 
You are there to be able to open the Word of God. What is it that Elias said? He said that 40 hours, we only have 40 hours of influence on a church, on our kids, in an entire year. Of all the things we do, direct influence, 40 hours maximum. So, we need you to show up in their lives. We need the, the commitment to be much for us. And when you place your connection with Jesus, I'm telling you this, on the same level as your golf, as your off-roading, as your skiing and camping and biking, you are not listening to the voice of Jesus. You have basically said, this is my life. There's Jesus, and there's golf, and there's this, and they're all equal. Jesus can give you the power to do everything that you do, but he needs to be inside it all. I'm not saying don't golf. I'm not saying don't go camping. I think it's phenomenal for you, not for me, because there's bugs out there, but I think, and I think, and I believe that God is saying he is way above all that. And coming together to celebrate together, there is energy with each other. And I'm encouraging you very strongly to be able to do this because you miss the rhythm of the spiritual discipline I'm constantly amazed that people who say this to me, um, that I, I just, I want to grow in Jesus, right? I want to be able to know who Jesus Christ is, but I skip church and life groups and daily walk. Uh, I, I skip the Bible study classes. I skip lunches. I skip everything. I'll see you at Christmas and Easter, but I want to grow in Jesus. I'm like, you're not going to grow in Jesus unless you go out there, unless you engage in it. And I wonder why sometimes it feels so hard to connect it because we are disconnected with this. On Tuesdays, right inside the community room there, we have a Bible study group, a life group called Fresh Word. Basically, a lot of the, uh, more of those who are retired and those who have flexibility in their work, and I love that group, fantastic. I've talked to you about them. But this uh, Tuesday, we were looking at the book of Revelation, and I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, uh, page 1129. 1129, Revelation chapter 2. It's the last book in the Bible if you can't find it. Um, it's very, it's just, just go all the way to the back, then go backwards from the index and you find it. But page 1129, chapter 2. And, and I want to read this little portion of this text here, verses 1 to 5 to you, because I think this is significant to us. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who will call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduringly patient and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had first. You've got to remember this about this little story here, right? Paul, this guy on the road to Damascus, this Paul, he's the one who pretty much started the church in Ephesus. He preached to them. Paul did, Timothy did, John did, Apollos did. They all preached to Ephesus. It was like Ephesus was the perfect one project. I kid you not. They had some of the world's best speakers all lined up back to back. It was just a no way. Randy Roberts is going to speak. Yes, he is. Alex Bryan, absolutely brilliant. Dina Kane's going to deliver the word. This is what's going to happen inside there. And all these speakers came and they built the church of Ephesus. 
And boy, Ephesus was amazing. Man, they heard about Jesus Christ and they said, I want to be a follower. And they grew super fast. And then when they embraced the word of God, they held tight to the word of God. And they said, we're going to get rid of all the evil from here. Sexual fornication and false worship. They did all of these things. And then Jesus said to them, what is the one thing that Ephesus was missing? And we talked about this on Tuesday. What was the one thing that Ephesus was missing? And the answer was, Jesus. They had it all, but they didn't have Jesus. Now, that's an easy question, right? Because it's an easy answer because it's not us. It's actually about something that happened 2,000 years ago. But if I were to ask this question, and I did this on Tuesday with our group, what is the one thing that Boulder is missing? And that's a hard question. I mean, we could say ADA bathrooms, right? Yeah, absolutely. We could say a brand new kitchen. We could fill in physical plant services on every single line. We could talk about little things like air conditioning, <laughs> anything you could imagine inside there. But I sometimes wonder if, in fact, we are missing Jesus. We talk about him, and we can sing to him, but I don't know whether we're always listening to him. I don't know if we're really in conversation with Jesus. And we are called to keep our eyes on Jesus. We all connect differently, right? And maybe you've done the nine spiritual pathways and you've looked at all those discipleship elements aside there. Maybe you've looked at your spiritual gifts and said to yourself about that. Maybe you've even done cross disciplines. You know, you looked at like the love languages of words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch, all that kind of stuff and said, how do I express my love to Jesus? How does Jesus express his love to me? How do I engage with this? But I think generally, if we were to narrow it all down, it's with our minds, with our hearts, and with our actions. That's how we connect to God, with our minds, with our hearts, and with our actions. And if all three of those are not in sync, if they're not connected to each other, if your mind says this, but your heart is not in love with Jesus Christ, it's just logical. Your actions will not show it. If your actions are doing one thing, but your heart is not with Jesus Christ, you give your tithing, your offerings, and you hold it with resentment, because you're angry at stuff, you're not connected to that. God is calling us to mix our hearts and our minds and our actions. And that means with our minds, we study, we listen, we read, we explore our hearts, we worship, we sing, we explore the arts. With actions, we donate, we give time, and we serve. But this is what Jesus does on our road. We're driving along thinking to myself, I've got my heart, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this road, it's fantastic. And Jesus says, I'm gonna throw an obstacle in your way. It's called your mind. <laughs> I'm going to throw an obstacle in your way. It's called worship. So for those of us who connect to God through worship, maybe God is saying you need to go back and study. Join a Bible study class. All right? For those of you who connect in a Bible study class with all of your head, maybe you actually need to come back and worship. For those of you who actually serve, maybe God is saying, I like you serving, but I want you to get back to the heart of why you serve inside there. Maybe what Jesus is saying is, is that he wants to connect us and move us in a way that's not comfortable for us. So let's look at Acts chapter 9 real quick with us. Acts chapter 9, and it's page 1016. Acts chapter 9, this is our passage for today. I'm going to read the first verse, nine verses here. But Saul, 
Verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, right? This is the guy, all of his pride, all of his anger, and he asked for letters to the synagogue to Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, these are people who follow Jesus Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's going there with a, a prison car, and he's going to bring them all back to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way... All right, driving down this road, full of his head, none of his heart, all with his actions, all out of sync. He says, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, and the only response he could do when he heard the voice of Jesus, when he saw the face of Jesus was, who are you, Lord? Right? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. He feels he's been listening fully to God. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like I've got it all down, 20-20 vision. But he has spiritual blindness. He cannot see God. He has chosen a different method. And Jesus, just like he did with his aunt and uncle, he takes a different tack with Paul. He says, I need to remove your pride. And for three days, no food, no water. For three days, no sight. For three days, I want you to use your memory and remember with your heart who you saw. And in those three days, imagine what it would have been like to have seen the face of Jesus In the book of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel's describing God, he doesn't even get to the place where he describes what God looks like. He just says, he's like a burning fire. He's just like this wheel within a wheel. The chariots are there. I can just describe him. I cannot tell you exactly. But Paul gets to see the face of Jesus. And he says to him, I want to be honest with you. Jesus all the time has been fully transparent with him. Jesus is risking everything. We get to sit down and tear Jesus. You notice that? There are us, opinions, our opinions as human beings. What we do is we look at the Bible and say, well, I don't know if I believe in that God. I don't know. You saw that stuff in the First Testament, Second Testament. I don't know. And what we do is we spend all of our time tearing down God while he's totally vulnerable totally transparent, totally saying, this is who I am. Let me, let me tell you stories of how I connect to people. It doesn't make me look good, all right? It doesn't make me look good because it's their stories. And I am a God of accommodation. I'm a God who actually understands how to connect with you in this. And Jesus says, look, I want you to be honest with me. I want you to pick any area. You do the same thing. You pick any area in your life, and you say, what has Jesus said to you about that? And what do you do? Most times, we ignore it. And it's been from the very beginning. The Garden of Eden, they were hiding behind a tree. Samson, hiding behind his power. David, hiding behind his resources. Paul, hiding behind his status. You know, the thing is this. Paul understood this. Wherever he got attacked, he got pushed aside. People would attack him. He understood all of this. He never gave up coming back to Jesus. He's constantly, openly confessing Jesus. People called it thorns in his side, and he said, the thorns remind me that I am a humble, simple servant of Jesus. Now watch this, in Acts chapter 9, continuing down there, verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, this guy's listening to God, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord, and the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, at the house of Jesus, took for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. Ananias argues with God, are you sure? This guy, I'm pretty sure he came here to kill us. You want me to go see him? And Jesus says to him, go, go see him. Let him know what he would be. And this is beautiful now. 
If you scroll all the way down, verse 17, so Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on that road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh man, you know what I love about that? I love the humility that it takes from being up here, thinking you know everything, to actually coming here and saying, Jesus, I'm going to listen and I'm going to be a servant in your life. And when you are, you go to community and the community looks at you and says, brother, your family, sister, your family, you belong to God. And because of that, I embrace you. That's beautiful inside there. I tell you this, we need to turn our enemies into brothers and sisters. And we need to turn those who hate us into our friends. And we need to turn our actions into an authentic expression that doesn't happen by your head alone. It happens with your head and your heart and your actions. They all have to be in sync. And the only way they're in sync is if they're connected to the will of God. So if you're looking for the will of God, you've got to be open to be connected to him. You have to have a relationship. You have to study the word of God, as I said last week. This afternoon, uh, we have our collectives. We start our first collective. It's going to be in Longmont. Um, and our collectives are basically what we're going to do is we're going to pull people together in the city they belong to. And we have really one question. I mean, we have a long agenda, obviously, because we can't go to a meeting without a long agenda. But truthfully... I have one question. Jesus helped you to live in that place. And the question is, why that place? And I know you're gonna be all sassy. Ah, it's because I couldn't afford a mortgage somewhere else. I couldn't afford a house over here. Couldn't do this. My job took me to this place. I have to live here because of my school. No, Jesus brought you to that place. So why are you living in that place? Whether it's Westminster or Boulder or Longmont or Loveland, why are you in that place there? And if you answer that question and you embrace who Jesus is, you will start to see a different plan for life. Because when it comes to the will of God, it is not a blueprint, right? Where God says, go here, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, go up, down, all that way. It's a blue sky, right? God is with you wherever you go. And he says, I want to enjoy the journey with you. I want to enjoy this road with you. And whatever obstacle comes in, I am with you. And if you embrace that, you will start to hear the voice of God. So we're going to start a collective here in Boulder as well. And Eli and Jessica and I and a few other people are talking about how to start that. And this last week, Eli, I was thinking about uh, just uh, how we can connect to our community. So you know that the school on Hill here, 4th and, and uh, on Mapleton and 9th, down here on the corner, that school uses this church as their evacuation site in an emergency. God willing, they'll never have to use the church for that reason. So uh, Pastor Lyon and Jess, they went to visit the school uh, and sat down with a couple of the teachers this week and, and talked to them about how can we be connected and support you and you know, you're know you right here, you're our neighborhood and by the way, here's new keys for the church because we've changed the locks on the outside doors and all that kind of stuff. And the director said this really interesting thing. She said that she lives up in Loveland and she said, uh, you know, there are there's so many churches in Loveland who adopt schools and I have been wondering what church in Boulder would ever be willing to adopt us? And I thought, and they thought as well, I wonder, I wonder what church could do that. <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, it's us. It's us. This is our collective. This is our collective. 
We have a collective over in Erie. We have one in Denver. We have one in Longmont. This is our collective. This is our soil. If we live here, if we work and we breathe here, God brought us here. And we have to ask ourselves why. And we have to answer that question by saying, Jesus, I want to be engaged in your will.